I'm very grateful to be able to say to you this morning, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. For those of you who were not aware, at the end of last year, I started having a series of headaches that led to a visit to the ER, which led to surgery on my brain to uh, remove a large uh, area that had bled. And since that point on December 30th to this point today, uh, God has been so gracious to me. I'm very thankful for you and for your prayers. I'm thankful for my wife and my children who cared for me. I'm thankful for a wonderful medical team. God put the right people in the right place at the right time so that I could come back here today and open up God's Word to you and with you. And I'm very thankful for that. Uh, it's been since the end of December uh, that we were in Luke's Gospel. So just a, a reminder to us all, we were picking up today in Luke chapter 13, uh, where we've been in Luke's Gospel is through much of the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he is now making his way towards which will eventually, that which will eventually lead to him going to the cross for our sins. We found him in this last chapter, Luke chapter 12, uh, preaching to a crowd. He had left a meal with a group of Pharisees, and a large crowd had gathered around him to the point uh, that Luke tells us that they were actually trampling one another. And so there are literally thousands who've come to hear Jesus preach, which may seem a bit peculiar to us as we actually look at what it is he preached. And we did that as we walked through Luke 12. He, he did not preach a very inviting sermon. Uh, he preached about the judgment of God. He preached about uh, the division that the gospel brings, how he did not come to bring peace, but that his gospel would divide families, it would divide friendships. Uh, he talked about the coming judgment in such a way that he called out the crowd and said that they were better at looking towards what the weather was going to bring and, and anticipating the weather than they were about anticipating the judgment of God. And, and he condemns them for this. And where we just left off, he has again spoken of judgment and how we all rightly deserve it. And so this is the type of sermon that we might think about in today's context as one that would drive people away rather than invite them in, and yet God had indeed invited people in and was patient towards them, desiring that they might repent. And so that's the context that we pick up in, and it's important to understand that context because then it helps us to understand uh, the response that Jesus will now get from some in the crowd. And so that's where we're going to pick up uh, Luke chapter 13, Beginning in verse 1, we'll go through verse 9, and out of reverence for God's Word, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand this morning. And this is what the Word of God says. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, 
you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Shalom fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told him this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? But he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. If you would, pray with me. Father, as we come to a passage where Jesus very clearly calls every one of us to repentance, I pray for each of us here this morning. I pray, God, that you might protect our minds from so many things that might distract us. And Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would call each and every one of us to repentance, that we might truly understand what it means to repent, and that we might be able to recognize the fruit of genuine repentance. And I pray, God, particularly for those who may have may consider themselves as repentant people, but bear no fruit of repentance. For those who may have walked the aisle in this church or in another church, who may have been baptized here or somewhere else, but whose lives have no genuine fruit of repentance, I pray, God, that you might help them to see that and that you would lead them to genuine repentance. Lord, we ask this now in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. As I studied this passage in recent weeks, the, the thought that I had, and, and perhaps one that you have recognized, is this. Have you ever observed that when we or others are caught in sin or confronted in sin, that we often point towards the sin of others? <laughs> And that in a marriage relationship, when a, when a spouse confronts their partner in sin or in wrongdoing, when they, when they talk to them about a hard issue, something they've done wrong, that so often when we're on the receiving end of that confrontation, how quick we are to point out someone else's sin rather than deal with our own. That in a friendship, when something like that happens, we, we quickly point towards the sin of another. That civilly, you know, we're, we're pulled over for driving too fast and how quick we are to tell the officer, well, I was just trying to get out of the way. Didn't you see all those other people driving faster than me? That well, whatever context it might be in, or whether as a child when a parent comes to us and points out a wrongdoing, how we point to a sibling and say, if they did much worse, or in our marriage, whatever it might be, that when we're confronted with sin or wrongdoing, we so often seek to point out the guilt of others. Remember again that the context of where we are, 
Jesus has very much been pointing out wrongdoing and how deserving the people were of the judgment of God. He has said that God's judgment was coming and that judgment was rightfully coming because these people had sinned against God. That they had forsaken the right way in which God instructed them to go and at the same time, they had gone the wrong way. And some of them were very zealously religious and yet their hearts did not belong to the Lord. They were cold towards God. They twisted the word of God for their own suiting. And so Jesus has spent much time, not just in this occasion of preaching, but in other occasions of preaching, and calling out this as sin, and then saying that God's judgment was coming. And immediately before this, again, he had said, listen, you're, you're able to look to the skies and predict the weather, and yet you are completely and foolishly ignorant of the judgment of God that is rightfully coming against you. And so in this context, Jesus has just confronted them on their sin and their judgment that was rightly coming. And notice the response. They deflect. That they point to someone else. That they talk about these Galileans and how the Galileans had been slaughtered by Pilate and how the blood of their sacrifices and their blood had been mingled together. Perhaps you've read that before and you've wondered, why in the world would they bring that up? And I think the reason they were bringing that up because they didn't want to deal with their own sin. They wanted to point to what they perceived to be the sin of others because in this context, in this age, the, the common belief among so many was that when calamity or suffering or even disaster like this came. It came as a result of sin. It was deserved. It was God's judgment. And so rather than dealing with their own sin, they want to point to the sin of others. And yet this gives Jesus even another opportunity to address to them what they genuinely need. They, they don't need to turn and point out the sin of someone else or what they perceive to be the sin of someone else. They need to turn from their sin. They need to repent. And so now in his preaching, he will talk about repentance, both the necessity of it and what, the, what genuine repentance looks like, the fruit it bears. And so those are the two things we'll look at as we prepare to come to the Lord's table together, beginning with the first point there in your outline. Jesus here warns us of the necessity of repentance. So again, there were some present, verse 1, Luke tells us, at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now outside of this passage, we have very little information about what took place here. What we can gather from this and from what we know about the Galileans and about Pilate is that this is something that, I, that had probably happened rather recently. Uh, we know that there were groups within the Galileans who wanted to revolt against the Roman rule. Uh, we also know that the Galileans lived outside of the area that Pilate had authority over. And so chances are what's taking place here is that these Galileans had come to the Jewish temple to offer sacrifices, and Pilate was going to use this as an opportunity to slaughter them so that they could not revolt against him. 
and that this had either just happened and they literally are telling Jesus about what's happened or this had happened some time ago and they are reminding Jesus and reminding others about it. Because again, the commonly held belief among the Jewish people at this time was that when things like this happened, it happened because of your sin. And the greater your sin, the greater the disaster that would come upon you. And this was common. In fact, we see this in the Gospels among the very disciples of Jesus, those who followed him the closest. And you may recall what we see in John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. God's word tells us that as Jesus passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Why would they say this? Because this is what they were raised to believe. And this is what so many in that crowd believed. This person's blind, well, they're obviously blind either because of their parents' sin or because of their sin. Bad things happen when people do bad things. If suffering comes in the life of a believer, it comes in their life because of their lack of faith or the greatness of their sin. And this wasn't just a common belief in Jesus' day. This is sadly a common belief in our day today. Something bad happens to that person. Well, they deserved it. A disaster strikes among a group of people, a region, a nation. Well, they had that coming. Something happens to someone who says they're a Christian, says they believe. Well, obviously, they don't have enough faith because if they had enough faith, this wouldn't happen to them. And if that is the way you believe today, then I don't imagine you'll be back next week because I'm certainly not the person you need to listen to if that's the way you believe. I've had great suffering in my life and some of you in this room have had much greater suffering than I have. And if we hold to this erroneous teaching, then we have a hopeless life. And so Jesus, whenever this comes up, notice in the scripture, he always confronts it. In John chapter 9, when the disciples say, who sinned, him or his parents? Jesus is very clear, neither. <laughs> that this has happened because of the providence of God. In fact, this has happened to him that he might bring glory to God. And that's the theme we see throughout the scriptures. Is that we have an opportunity to bring glory to God, especially in our suffering and in our calamity and in our hardships. And so here again, I believe this is why this is coming up. This group of people have heard Jesus say to them, judgment is coming, you need to repent, you need to turn, you have sinned. And rather than them dealing with their own sin, they're pointing out these Galileans who they viewed as deserving of what had happened to them. Because obviously they did something greatly offensive to God that when they were coming to present their sacrifices to God, that something like this would happen to them. The greater the sin, the greater the suffering. But notice again, Jesus confronts this false belief. Verse 10, he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now notice a couple things about this. 
First of all, Jesus does not say, well, wait a second, these Galileans were innocent. I mean, do you notice in our context today when when some type of disaster hits, some type of disaster strikes, I, I heard this very thing on the news recently as the newscaster was talking about a story around the globe where something terrible had happened to a group of people and, and they talked about how many innocent souls died that day. Friends, I'll remind you from the Word of God, there are no innocent souls. And the Scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is none good, no, not even one. And part of what Jesus does here, as he's talking about judgment, and as this group is deflecting, he's reminding them. These Galileans, he refers to them as sinners, that they were sinners. But you are too. And so often we we, we look at the sin of others and almost point out the sin of others so that we won't recognize our own sin or deal with our own sin. And that's what Jesus, I believe, is confronting here. He says, listen, you're you're a sinner. And they were sinners. And if you don't repent, you will likewise perish. That doesn't mean that if they didn't repent, Pilate was going to slaughter them and their families and mingle their blood with their sacrifices. What he's saying is that judgment will come to them. Death will come to them. The scripture says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. I believe what Jesus is teaching us through this in part is that when we see crises and disasters and suffering happen, that we should consider our own mortality. We should consider our own sin. We should consider our own need for repentance. Because in death, repentance is no longer an option. And sadly, there are so many today who live with this thought that, well, well, I know I need to get right with God. I I know I need to deal with these things, but I'm I'm just going to do what I want to do now, and I'll do that later on. And yet, friends, God's Word and our world remind us often We do not know what tomorrow holds. We do not know what the next hour holds. We don't know what the next minute holds. We're guaranteed nothing. And there comes a time when we no longer have the option to sit there and to debate with others or to debate with ourselves whether or not we will repent, whether or not we will turn from sin. And judgment is there. And that's exactly what we see with these Galileans. And that's exactly why Jesus then is refusing to allow this crowd to deflect this conversation about judgment on something else. And he brings it back to them and says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And so what does it mean then to repent? And friends, it simply means this. We we turn from our sin and we turn to Jesus. See, by nature, we we trust in our sin. We trust in our desires. I mean, how often do we hear or see the saying, follow your heart, (laughs) follow your sinful desires is what that means. Follow your gut. Listen to what others say to you. And yet so often, 
depending on who those people are that are saying things to you, what we're doing is we're just following our sinful inclinations. That, that's what we naturally do. It's what we see in the garden. Adam and Eve giving clear instruction by God on what to do and not to do. They turn from God and they turn to what? What they want to do. What they feel is right in their own hearts. Scripture warns us about doing what is wise in our own eyes because that way leads to death. And yet that is what we naturally do. And what repentance is, is rather than trusting in our heart and trusting in our sinful inclinations, we turn from those things and we trust in Jesus. And so we open up the word of God and Jesus says, do this, and yet we want to do this. <laughs> repentance is turning from this and trusting in Jesus, believing in Jesus, taking Jesus at his word. And even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't desire it, when the natural inclination of our heart is to go the other way, we listen to Jesus, and we trust in Jesus, and we walk in the ways of Jesus. And this is not just a one-time decision. It's something we decide every moment of every day, because in every moment of every day, we face temptation, we face sinful desires and inclinations, we face the counsel of a wicked world. And every moment of every day, we need to say no to those things and say yes to Jesus. This is what a life marked by repentance looks like. And Jesus here is saying, this is what we need to do. And unless we do this, we will never be made right with God. And unless we do this, we will face the right judgment of God. He goes on then, to continue in this point by sharing another historical example. Verse 4, he says, Or those 18 on whom the tower of Shalom fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus here goes on to speak about another disaster in Jerusalem, another disaster that we know very little about other than what he says here. And we do know historically that Pilate at one point wanted to build a system to bring in more water into the city to address a water shortage, and likely this happened during that time because this building project took place near the Pool of Shalom. He was building an aqueduct system, and this would have involved the building of towers. And so historically, many believe that what took place then during that building project was that at some point during this construction, one of these towers collapsed and 18 people were killed. And in that context, again, the common held belief would have been, well, they got what was coming to them. Especially those who had a hatred towards Pilate and those who would have looked at their Jewish brethren as working for the Roman government in order to build this project as those who had forsaken their people. They would have looked at them and thought, well, they got what was coming to them. And yet again, what does Jesus say? Do you think that they were worse than you? Do you think that they got something that you don't deserve? 
You may have already noted that Jesus here uses a different word in referring to them as he did the Galileans. With the Galileans, he says, do you think they were worse sinners? Here of these fellow Jews who the tower fell on, he says, do you think they were worse offenders? But that word often is translated debtors. That's exactly what a sinner is, isn't it? We read in God's word again, Romans 3.23, I quote it often that, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. Well, what we earn for sin is death. We, we are indebted to God because of our sin. We have a sin debt that must be paid. And God in His grace sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to pay our debt. And now, Jesus here is standing in front of this crowd in this context is the one who will pay the debt of sin. And he is saying to these debtors, do you think that, that these people are worse debtors than you are? And he's reminding them that we are all indebted to God, that we are all deserving of the wages of sin. He's reminding them and he's reminding us this morning that we all need to repent. And that without repentance, there is no salvation. And so the question for us as we come to this passage, as we consider it today, is, is have we, each of us in this room today, have we indeed repented? And when you have a conversation with someone about that, it becomes very evident whether they have indeed repented or not. I've talked to many in this church, I've talked to many in this community about salvation, about the gospel. I've asked many people their testimony, and there are times when I've asked someone their testimony, and they have clearly communicated how they came to hear the gospel and understand the gospel, and how they repented of their sin, and how they trusted in Jesus, and how now they're living a, a life of repentance, and they're looking to and longing for the day when they're with their Lord Jesus. And then there's others when it becomes clear that they have no understanding of repentance, a very little understanding of the gospel. That they talk much of their church involvement, they talk much of that time when they walked the aisle and brother so-and-so counseled with them and baptized them and how they were involved in this program and that and how they served in this capacity or that. But they speak nothing of repentance. And friend, if that's you this morning, then be warned and be aware that, that Jesus in His grace and in His forbearance from his word is saying to you this morning that unless you repent, you will likewise perish. And if that brings within you the question then of, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, Jesus graciously answers that. And we'll look to that briefly now in the second point. Jesus teaches us here about the fruit of repentance. He teaches us how we can recognize repentance. He teaches us how we can see whether or not we or others have repented. And he does that through a parable, beginning in verse 6. He says, God's word says, he told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. 
And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he, the vine dresser, said to him, answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and can put on manure. Then, if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. I want you to notice briefly three things that Jesus is teaching in this parable. I believe he's teaching that genuine repentance bears fruit, that God is merciful to sinners, and that the opportunity to repent will expire when the judgment of God comes. So first, genuine repentance bears fruit. This man plants this fig tree for the sole purpose of it producing fruit. He plants it, and not for shade, not for any other reason, but he plants it so that he might receive the fruit from it. But then he comes back year after year after year, and it produces none. Friend, he looks to this fig tree and wants to cut it down at this point. Why? Because it's not doing what it was supposed to do. Because the fruit reveals the root. And if there's no fruit, then there's a problem with the root. And so cut it down and plant another one. Why? Because I need a tree that's going to produce fruit. And friend, Jesus here, in this context again, is speaking about repentance. Jesus here is speaking about genuine repentance and how genuine repentance yields genuine fruit. This is the theme of repentance in God's word. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist confronts a group of zealously religious people who considered themselves to be repentant, and yet what does he say to them? Go bear fruit in keeping with your repentance. Why? Because there was no fruit in their lives. In the book of Acts chapter 26, Paul is sharing about the gospel that he proclaimed to the Jews and the Gentiles. And he says that gospel he proclaimed to them was that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Genuine repentance always bears genuine fruit. And without genuine fruit, the gospel teaches us there is no genuine repentance. God's word is clear on this issue. Not only that, we see here through this parable, Jesus teaching God's mercy towards sinners. And notice that this man says that he's been coming back year after year. Now, three years have gone by and there's no fruit. I don't think it's coincidental that when we study Luke's gospel, that at this point in Jesus's ministry, he's been ministering approximately three years. And that when we read the Old Testament, we see often Israel, the Jewish people, are illustrated by fig trees. And so here you put these things together, and I think what Jesus is making real clear to this crowd is that for three years, they've had the opportunity to repent and bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And for three years, what have they done? They've rejected the Lord's Messiah. They've not repented and turned from their sin. Therefore, there's been no fruit of repentance. Therefore, they rightly deserve the judgment of God in that moment. Just as you and I do today. 
Friend, when we see disaster, calamity, suffering, we should not look at that and say, why would that happen? We should look at that and say, why hasn't it happened to me yet? Because we rightly deserve these things for our sin. And yet God is so merciful to us that the tower hasn't fallen on us. That our blood hasn't been mingled with the sacrifices. That all these disasters haven't struck us and led to our death yet. We see God's mercy here. Because, what does he show us? He shows us that God is forbearing. That the vine dresser here isn't going to cut down the vine yet. And yet the day will come when it is cut down. And he doesn't say, well, why don't you just keep fertilizing it? And just keep tending to it. You've got plenty of other fig trees out here. Just, you know, make this one your project fig tree. And, and as long as it's at least growing, who cares if it's bearing fruit or not? He says, no, I'll give it another year. And if in that year it's not growing fruit, then I'll indeed cut it down, which reminds us of that third observation I mentioned. The opportunity to repent will expire when the judgment of God comes. And friends, the judgment of God is coming. And the question for us to today is, are you ready for it? If God's judgment comes in the next five minutes, are you right with God? Are you ready for it? This is a question that we should ask honestly and often. And this is a question we're invited to ask when we come to the Lord's table together. Because the instruction we so often read about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians is followed by further instruction that actually tells us how to prepare to come to the table together. And in that preparation to come to the table together, God says to us this, Have you repented? Do you have sin between you and your brother? Do you have unconfessed sin that, that you've not dealt with rightly with God? And what God says of the Lord's Supper, and the Lord's Supper is, is directly connected to the coming judgment of God because God says, listen, if, if you come to the Lord's table without first considering your own soul, without first considering this issue of genuine repentance, if you come to the Lord's table just casually unrepentant, not considering these things, then you are heaping judgment on yourself. Then you are inviting the judgment of God. You are essentially saying to God, I don't need the gospel. <laughs> and you're inviting him to bring that judgment on you now. And so the invitation before we come to the table together is to pause and consider, have you indeed trusted in Jesus? Have you indeed put your hope and your faith in Christ? Are you living a life of repentance? Are you turning from sin? As the Holy Spirit brings conviction in your life, are you going before God and saying, Lord, confessing that sin to Him, asking Him to change your heart, to change your life, turning from that sin and turning to Christ? And I hear me, I've said this many times, that this doesn't mean that the Lord's table is for perfect people. It means the Lord's table is for those who are trusting in a perfect Savior. 
that your trust is in Christ, not in yourself. And so this morning, if you're trusting in yourself, then do not come to this table. But as you take time to pray and consider, if your trust is wholly and fully in Christ, then this is an opportunity to be ministered to by the Lord. It's an opportunity to remember that which Jesus has done. That he indeed, while we were still sinners, died for us on that cross, that he rose from the dead, that he sits at the right hand of the Father, that he intercedes for us today. So that no matter what may come, no matter what calamity may strike, no matter what suffering we may face, our God will never abandon us. He invites us to draw near to him in the midst of our suffering. What an opportunity to remember, to be reminded. And so, it starts with pausing and praying. So I'm going to invite us to do that now. And then once I've prayed for us, I'm going to invite our deacons to come forward. And we're going to distribute these elements so that we might come to the table together. If you would, pray with me.